Our lesson today uh, is on page 119. Has our text written there from Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 13, and going through the uh, third chapter, verse 5, as Micah read just a few moments ago. Paul, uh, in all of his writings, gives thanks to God for various things. And in this lesson today, it's no different. Uh, as he thanks God for the brethren at Thessalonica, uh, the church that he helped to bring into existence, and then for the good work they do, and other things that we'll talk about here when we uh, get to that section on thankfulness in just a few moments. I think it's kind of interesting in the text uh, when, uh, in the introduction part of it, that uh, the writers chose to uh, describe the attributes of God, or at least many of them. Uh, if you'll notice in uh, that writing, uh, in Genesis 1-1, he's described as a powerful creator. And of course, uh, we've studied the uh, creation. You go back to the book of Genesis and <clears throat> begin reading in chapter 1 and, and read on there, even into chapter 2, and you'll see the creative power of God, how uh, the word was spoken and things came to be. And that's uh, certainly an amazing power. Revelation 19.6, he is described as the omnipotent ruler. And according to the psalmist, he is the all-knowing God. And you're given the scripture of 139, chapter 139 of Psalm, verses 3 and 4. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So we also see that God is described as being ever-present. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 139. And in the New Testament, God is described as being faithful. And you can read the scriptures that are given to you there in your text in 1 Corinthians 1 9. He's a faithful God. Romans 2 4, He's a good God. Verse 6 of Romans 2, a just God and described in Peter's writings as holy also in John so we have a God who is uh, all wise who is all powerful who is all knowing and we sometimes uh, describe that as omniscient omnipresent and omnipotent that's what that means, uh, those three things that we mentioned there. But according to what your text uh, in your book says, 
one of the greatest attributes of God is that he is a God of what? Love, yeah. And he uses the text found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, to indicate that to us. And describing that, he said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, God, uh, a powerful God. Let's think about the, the storms that come our way sometime in, in nature. Those are powerful forces, aren't they? Think about tornadoes and, and the damages and things that are done in the natural occurrence of things. There's a lot of power in that. Uh, and various other things we could think about that that would teach us uh, that. But when we think about the powerful God, and you know, there's instances in the Old Testament where God acted uh, in a very powerful way. Uh, can you imagine a whirlwind taking somebody up in an automobile to heaven today? That'd be hard to... You know, driving down the road, and all of a sudden, here you see this big swirling wind, and this uh, person in this car is gone, and never to be seen again. Well, there was a man in the Old Testament, something about like that happened to him, wasn't it? And that was Elijah, wasn't it? Carried up into heaven by a whirlwind. That's a powerful force. But then we think about. Characters in the Bible like uh, Ruth who had uh, a lot of love in her, hearts, in her heart for God and also for our family. And we think about love, we often think about uh, tenderness, don't we? Uh, you know, the tender care that uh, love causes us to have. God loves us. And when you think about the love of God, uh, your text says here, uh, John 3.16 comes to mind. And every person probably sitting right here in this auditorium could quote that scripture, I'm sure. For God did what? For God so loved the world now, it, it, that doesn't mean the world as we sometimes refer to the world, but God's love for the world was his love for who? The people, wasn't it? For us. For God so loved us that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have life everlasting. So uh, God, uh, the powerful and the all-wise and the all-knowing God is a God of love and care 
and demonstrated to us in giving his son to die for us. Uh, notice uh, your uh, writer there says he sent Jesus to die in our place. And because of that, that gives us the opportunity to do what? Yeah, to be called the children of God. If God hadn't given his son to die on Calvary, we could not have the opportunity to be called his children. But because God loved us so much that he was willing to make that sacrifice, we can, through hearing, believing, and obeying the gospel, become the children of the God that loved us. Now, look at the top of page 121. I thought the, the sentence that is the first sentence in that is something that, that we have held on to here as a congregation of God's people in the last year. Notice what it says. Knowledge of the love God has for us enables us to face times of trials and remain faithful. The faith of some of you, maybe the faith of all of us, has been tested by a lot of things that's happened in the last year to us here at this place. Uh, we've lost a lot of good people, people that we love, people that loved us and people that meant, meant a lot to us. You know, that hurts. We suffered as a result of, the, of this uh, old virus that went around. Some of you uh, got sick from it. Some of you were fearful of it. And some of us had it but didn't do much effect or have much effect upon us except maybe cause us to be concerned a little bit or sometimes we use that W word, worried. <laughs> We're not to be anxious, are we? But we've had a lot of things that's, that we've gone through in the last several months that, that uh, taxed our being. But realizing that God loves us and that God gave his son to die for us, that helps us, that really sustains us in our trials and enables us to face them, to move forward, and to keep serving the Lord. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul addresses Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. Now, they suffered open persecutions at the hands of people that would mistreat them, beat them, cast them into prison, and even kill them, as you go back and read the book of Acts, you know. Uh, Saul consented to the death of Stephen, didn't he? So Stephen uh, was killed, and... 
sometimes considered the first Christian martyr, first man to die for the cause of Christ. That may be true from the record that we have in the Bible, but I'm sure there were others who died prior to the death of Stephen for the cause of Christ. But nevertheless, they endured persecution. Sometimes what we endure, we may call persecution, but it's not persecution in the sense that these first century Christians face persecution. Now we've already talked about in previous lessons where Paul said that these who persecute Christians and these who are openly disobedient to God's will, they are going to be punished. When we look back at uh, the first chapter uh, of this book, uh, you'll read there in verses 7 to 9 where the Lord will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So those that are doing the persecuting, they will be taken care of eventually. And the Lord will do that because he'll render judgment on them. And just as sure as the wicked will be punished, the righteous, the faithful, verse 11 of chapter 1 says there, will be counted worthy of his calling be rewarded. Uh, Paul, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, said uh, and talked about the crown of life, or the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to all them that love is appearing. So the righteous will receive the crown and live eternally in heaven with the Lord. So when we come to our lesson text today, your writer says Paul referred to the Thessalonians as beloved by the Lord, in verse 13 of our text. To Christians who face persecution for the sake of Christ, this would have been a welcomed reminder. Even though you're going through hard times even though you're suffering because you are Christians, God loves you. And God will take care of you. So Paul opens up our first uh, section here today and your authors give you that one word for the section, thankfulness. Paul was thankful as he starts out there in that uh, in that section, thankful for the results of persecution in their life. What was the results? Their faith was what? Strengthened, yeah, it was growing. You study back in the book of Acts, you study... Uh, well, from the time of Pentecost in Acts 2 and go on up, the apostles of the Lord faced persecution, didn't they? They were often harassed by uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin Council. They were cast into jail, right? Uh, and they suffered at the hands of 
of those that oppose their teaching of Christ. But when you get up to Acts chapter 8, as a result of the persecutions that had mounted and kept rolling, the disciples did what? They were scattered, right? They had to leave Jerusalem. Had to get out of town. Because the persecution was so great, so the Bible says in Acts 8, that those that were scattered abroad did what? Went everywhere preaching the word. So the spread of the gospel came about as a direct result of the persecutions that Christians were facing, particularly in the city of Jerusalem, from those Jewish leaders. So something good came out of persecution, right? The gospel going out to all parts of the earth. Well, Paul says here, I am thankful to you that in spite of the persecutions that you've endured, that your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all bounds toward each other. So they were growing. That was something he was thankful for. But there's a second reason for thankfulness, and that comes also in our text. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. That's our lesson title today. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So there's a thankfulness for their growth and then there's a thankfulness that Paul had based upon, as your author says here, what God had done for them. And truly God has done so much for all of us, hasn't he? Blessed us in in so many ways. But he's blessed us with salvation that comes through Christ. Before the worlds were formed, God had salvation on his mind, right? Yeah. There's a reference given to you there from Ephesians 3 and verse 11. His eternal purpose was accomplished through Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, if the eternal purpose of God was accomplished through Christ, what was that purpose? Salvation of mankind. That's right. Uh, If you go back uh, and read these scriptures that are given uh, down here to you of Galatians 4, 4 and 5, and Ephesians uh, 1, 7 to 10, uh, you'll see that God sent his son at the right When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Right? Yeah. God's son first became flesh and dwelt among men. And we read about that account in the birth of the Savior in the the Gospels. 
But when man was created and made in the book of Genesis by the hand of God, shaped from the dust of the ground, God breathing into his nostrils the breath of life and man becoming a living soul, according to Genesis 2.6, uh, God had a purpose and his purpose was to save this creature that he'd given this life to, this soul to, that he called man. And of course from man's side came woman. So when we talk about man sometimes we're in a generic way talking about the whole of humanity not separated by sexes, but all of us, male or female. But God had a purpose, and that purpose and that plan stemmed from his love for the creature he had created. And one of the greatest verses, I think, in the New Testament is given to you here in your text today, Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth, as the old King James Version says, your text here says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul in the... Romans 3 says we all sin and come short of the glory of God, right? And he says in chapter 6 that, that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die because of our sins, don't we? But he also concluded that verse by saying the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his Son. So God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were unworthy, he let his son die on Calvary that we could live. So he says it's no wonder that Paul refers to these Christians at Thessalonica as beloved by the Lord. God had provided the plan by which they and all of us can be saved. That salvation came through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So they heard the word Paul spoke to them, didn't they? Part of the plan of salvation today is hearing the message that needs to be heard and believing it and obeying it, that we can be sanctified by God. And sanctification is no mystery what sanctification means. Set apart. We're set apart for the work of the Lord. We are a, as Peter put it, a peculiar people. That don't mean we're strange and weird and, and all of that. That just means we're a people with a purpose a specific purpose, and that purpose is the service of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So we're sanctified by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Uh, look up here at 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It's given to you there in your text. That follows, that verse follows a, a list in uh, that passage of 1 Corinthians 6 that, uh, that are vile people, vile sins, fornicators, adulterers, liars, and thieves, and killers, and all of that. Uh, might be a part of the verses that precede that verse. But notice what he says. Such were some of you. In other words, you practiced those things. You were sinful people. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, how did that come about? How could people who live such vile lives and were so full of sin, how could they receive that justification? Yeah, they were obedient to what the Lord required of it. They were, by one spirit, baptized into one body. And you're given two references there in Acts 12, 13, and 18, and 8. So the same thing he says as you go over to uh, chapter 17 of Acts when he talks about the Thessalonian brethren here and the church at Thessalonian, Paul's work there, that's how they were sanctified. They were called by the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says in Romans 1, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for, it, it, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel that saves, but... In order for the gospel to save, it must first be what? Believed and obeyed. Now, the gospel was preached to a lot of people in Paul's day. Everybody hear it, believe it, and obey it? No. In fact, if you go back uh, on some of the journeys of Paul and look at some of the places that he tried to establish a church, he had very little success there. Thessalonica is an exception to the rule, really. But uh, the gospel's preached today. We don't know why it doesn't have the same effect on every heart. Well, I guess we do in a way know because there are different kinds of hearts, aren't there? Parable of the sower. Uh, demonstrates that well with the different soils that, that are talked about in that parable. But we do know the message has to be preached. It has to be heard and understood. It has to be believed. And if we believe it, we will repent of our sins. In other words, see a, a need of following what we've heard and confess that Jesus, yes, is the Christ, the Son of God, and then be baptized for the remission of our sins. And that's how these Thessalonian brethren became Christians. And that's how we 
become Christians today. Well, we've got to move on here. Standing fast, second section. Uh, Paul was thankful for their obedience, and he was thankful for their faithfulness to what they believed and obeyed. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, holding the traditions which were taught whether by word or by our epistle. Traditions. Had a lot of problem in the New Testament with traditions, didn't we? If you go back and study the ministry of Jesus, he had to deal with a lot of the traditions of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews, uh, all together, right? Uh, some of them, uh, is tradition within itself wrong? No, not really. Uh, it was traditional for years here, and this goes back several years now, we always met on Sunday morning at 10 and 11 for Bible study and worship. We did that. I don't remember. Uh, some of you who are here might remember. Jimmy, do you remember? Was it in the 70s when we went to 9 and 10, or was it the 80s? Somewhere in that, somewhere in those two decades, I think, we, we changed and decided to, uh, if I remember right, Vestal was in favor of that because he liked to take these trips on Sunday afternoon and be back for, yeah, but anyway, the time we meet is more or less traditional, isn't it? Uh, and, and the manner that we carry on our service is traditional. Now, by that I mean the order. I don't mean that we can, uh, you know, change doing what we do in the service. But we traditionally said two songs of prayer, a song of preaching, a song, Lord's Supper, giving, and then a song and dismiss. That's been our traditional way of carrying on. And traditionally, we've been greeting people with handshakes. That tradition may have changed in the last year. Nowadays, you fist bump, which I don't care for, really, and some people want to elbow, you know. And that's kind of awkward to me. I don't know about you. I, I still like the handshake. Uh, those are all kind of traditional type things. But that's not the tradition that Paul wanted these Thessalonian brethren to hold on to. Uh, the tradition that he wanted them to hold on to, the teachings that he delivered to them. Yeah. The, the, the doctrine of Christ, that's what he wanted them to hold on to, uh, to stand fast in that. He was an apostle selected by the Lord himself, and even though he described himself as the least of the apostles, still the words that he spoke and the words that he wrote in these epistles carried the authority of God. And what he said was to be followed. Thus, we have them today uh, to study. He was inspired of God and the things that he taught. We're to teach today as we're doing in our classes uh, with this book in the study of First and Second Thessalonians. So hold on to the teaching. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, 
Paul said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye what? Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we're to be steadfast. We're to remain true. And that's what he was encouraging these brethren here to do. Having exhorted the Thessalonians to remain faithful, Paul expressed his desire for both Jesus and God to bless them in that endeavor. And, of course, he does the same for us. We are to be steadfast ourselves. We're to hold on tight. But we have to realize we don't sustain ourselves, do we? God does the sustain. We hold on. We, we, be, we remain steadfast. But when it's all said and done, what do we do? We put whatever cares we may have and anxieties of this life, we, we just lay them in the hands of God, don't we? We're saddened by Winnie's situation. But with tears in her eyes the other day when Matthew and I were with her, that uh, she said, they've done all that they can do for me, and I'll just wait till the time he calls me. So when it's all said and done, we don't sustain ourselves. God is the sustainer. We just cast our cares on him. Last section, many prayers. Uh, Paul wanted them to pray for him, basically, is what this section is about. And uh, he, he prayed, uh, wanted them to pray for the rapid spread of the gospel. Read that uh, verses there, if you will, please. The rapid spread of the gospel, and he wanted the gospel to be accepted. He wanted he wanted them to pray that people would hear, believe, and obey the teaching of Jesus Christ. And he also prayed himself, and he believed that God, as the latter part down there in 125 says, the last few uh, lines of that, he believed God was capable of not only hearing, but also answering the prayers of his children. And Paul wanted uh, them to pray for him that he could uh, withstand uh, these wicked men that would come. And there are people that oppose us, and some oppose us very vehemently. But we need to remain faithful because we know the Lord is faithful, and he'll establish you and guard you from the evil one, verse 3 of that text says. I think there's a great compliment paid to these Christians. Verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Paul had a lot of confidence in these Christians, didn't he? You're doing what the Lord wants you to do, and I believe you will continue to do what the Lord wants you to do. And I believe the same concerning 
you today. Well, time's gone. We've gone over. Appreciate uh, you being here with us for our class today. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll be looking at the last lesson in this series. Bow with us as we pray. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and for every blessing that we receive from your hand. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to gather together as your people and to open your word and to study these various lessons that we think about and study from time to time. Father, help us to know that you love us and help us to know that we can pray and you will answer our prayers. May not always be with the answer that we want, but help us to always pray. Your will be done and not ours. Forgive us and bless all that need our prayers and bless us in the hour of worship that is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.